Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3. We're continuing our study of the Holy Spirit. Someone asked me a few weeks ago during the study if uh, we would uh, deal with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit since we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, this morning, that's our goal. And as we, we look at the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think we'll learn a lot about our own God uh, in that process as well. But here's the classic passage that deals with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's also known as the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. Beginning uh, chapter 3 of Mark, uh, verse 20, he has just chosen his 12 disciples. And verse 20 says, and he came home, which means literally came to a house, went inside the house. And the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself, and he began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. He's finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, I don't think I had been here in Anderson very long when I got a phone call from somebody I'd only met once, uh, and it was one of you introduced me to this uh, young uh, businessman. And so he didn't know me well except through one of you, and he called me up and told me who he was. I said, yeah, I remember who you are. And he said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you as, as soon as possible. And I said, uh, okay, uh, come on in. So he came by, and... Uh, Sat down in my office, and he said, uh, I need you to tell me. So I understand, you, you know, you'll shoot straight, and only right from the Bible. I said, that's what I need. I said, I need you to tell me, how does one escape the wrath of God? And if you do escape the wrath of God, is it guaranteed? Or can you lose it after you've gained it? I mean, nobody comes to me and asks that question. I mean, that's the preacher's dream, you know. Basically, tell me what I need to do to get saved and stay saved. But this guy came with just huge urgency. So I, before I answered, I said, well, can you tell me why you need to know this so quickly? I mean, what has brought you here? I mean, you said as soon as possible, and you got here quick. What's up? And he said, well, to be honest, uh, I was at a party last weekend. And I did some bad things. And I hadn't been able to sleep since. 
He says, the thing that's bothering me most, he says, I got drunk, and I took the Lord's name in vain. And a lot of people heard me, because I basically, in front of everybody, said, God damn you. And people told me that I have committed the unpardonable sin. So I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. Am I going to hell? Is there any way out? Anything I can do at this point? That brings it into perspective, doesn't it? That's what's going on in Mark 3. I said, well, we need to talk about Mark 3. We need to talk about the unpardonable sin. Obviously, you're not going to leave here satisfied. First of all, did you sin? Yes, in several ways. Did you blaspheme? Yes. Secondly, all of us here in this room, as well as that room I was with him, I said, we have all committed sin that is worthy of damnation and hell. We have all committed sin that God could choose not to pardon. He doesn't owe us anything. The fact that any of us get saved, it's His mercy. It's His grace. Because every sin we commit is punishable by death and by hell. Unless Christ shows us mercy. But you have committed a very specific sin you are aware of. And before we get further, yes, it is sin, and yes, you must and should repent of that sin. But let's talk about the unpardonable sin, and let's understand it, uh, because it is a very fearful thing to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Jesus says so. Uh, What kind of sin is it? It's a pronounced sin. I want you to get that, because people confuse it with other things. It is a sin you commit with your mouth, with your tongue, with your teeth. It's a verbal sin. It's a sin you speak. That's what I mean by a pronounced sin. Blasphemy, by definition, is abusive, disrespectful speech. Irreverent speech against God. That's the blasphemy being spoken of here. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's the common understanding of what blasphemy is. Now, how could that be such a horrific sin that it's unpardonable? Well, remember how powerful our tongues are and how important our speech is. A good example of that is in James chapter 3, verse 6, when James is talking about using our tongues and um, the importance of our tongues. James 3, verse 6 says, And the tongue is a fire. It's the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. So our tongues are, are, are extremely important that we can use our tongues for good or we can use them for evil and they can be set on fire by the literal flames of hell and establish the course of our lives. So yes, blasphemy could, could lead you to hell. As a matter of fact, it always bothers me when, I, when I'm talking to someone who claims to be a Christian and they just uh, spouting off profanities from time to time in that conversation. It reminds me back a couple chapters in James, verse 1 
Chapter 1, verse 26 says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is worthless. What we say, what comes out of our mouths is huge. If, if you don't deal with what comes out of your mouth, God's saying, your religion, your Christian, kind of Christianity is worthless. What comes out of your mouth is extremely important. Realize it sets on course your entire life. You speak the fruits of your life, your heart. Um, the tongue's like a, a rudder that controls you. So uh, learning to bridle and control your speech is crucial. Blasphemy is a sin of our, uh, of our mouths, something we speak, and it is horrific. Now, just saying that, that rules out several things that people confuse blasphemy of the Holy Spirit with. They get hung up on the term unprof uh, unpardonable and miss the definition. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, a verbal sin. That means it's not suicide. And that means it's not murder. That means it's not unbelief. I mean, people will say, well, you know, suicide is the unpardonable sin. Where do you get that? That's not in the Bible, and it's not in this context. Well, it's got to be the unpardonable sin because if you blow your brains out, you don't have time to ask for forgiveness. Well, true, you, you may not have time to ask for forgiveness, but that doesn't mean God won't pardon you. Um, how did you come up with unpardonable? You came up with a work salvation that you have to do things to get yourself saved. Uh, yes, it's true. If you commit suicide, that is a sin. Suicide is murdering yourself. Thou shalt not murder. That's God's commands. We, we should take life as precious and not destroy it. Uh, destroying your life is, is, your life is valuable. But if you were to destroy yourself, would, would that be of more value or less value than destroying someone else? Thou shalt not murder. Well, we should consider ourselves as not as important as someone else. So murdering ourselves seems to be a lesser sin than murdering someone else. But both are sins. And we know God forgives murderers. Some of our godliest leaders in the Bible were murderers. Moses, before he began his 40 years wilderness experience to get ready to lead God's people. He began that time with murder. Killed a guy and buried him in the sand. The Apostle Paul, just before he got saved, was spending his time murdering folks, literally. Hunting down the church, throwing them in prison. Um, King David, a man after God's own heart, murdered Uriah. We know God has pardoned us for murder. Murder, suicide is a terrible sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. Secondly, some people say the unpardonable sin is unbelief. You know, if you, just, if you don't trust Jesus, it's usually a manipulation kind of thing. You better trust Jesus. If you don't trust Jesus, you're going to hell. Well, all of that may be true. But the Scripture still doesn't say unbelief is the unpardonable sin. It's not in the context. Keep God's Word pure in its context. The unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Don't make it to be what it's not. Unbelief is a serious sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. He who comes to the Lord must first believe, have faith, that He is. Faith is crucial. Unbelief is sin. 
but it's not the unpardonable sin. It's a verbal sin. Secondly, it's a permanent sin. Verse 29, uh, Mark 3 says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Not God of the second chance here. You got one time here. You mess this up, it's over. It's an eternal, permanent sin. It's like a permanent marker. You put that on, and it stays. Um, There's no chance for forgiveness. That's not like all blasphemy. There's blasphemies that God has forgiven us of. So this is a very particular blasphemy that uh, has with it a permanent state of unforgiveness. Um, Think about some, uh, again, great men in the scriptures that blasphemed God and were forgiven. One of the greatest examples of that is the Apostle Peter at the time of Christ's trial. Uh, You remember that story. I won't turn to it, but... uh, you know, Peter's just standing around the, the fire, trying to warm himself. Jesus is off in a little courtroom, and they're blasting him with questions. And, I mean, it's just a little servant girl. I don't, I, I picture Peter as this burly, you know, tough outdoorsman, fisherman. And this little servant girl comes up and says, you're one of Jesus' disciples. No, no, not me. You're scared of this little girl? You know, and then some in the crowd say it too. And what, is, what does Peter do? The scripture says, and he starts cursing. Why would you do that? Because it's consistent for a non-Christian to curse. And Peter's trying to separate himself from this Christian crowd. And you can imagine, I don't know that blankety-blank-blank-blank man. I'm not one of them blankety-blanks. You know, and just goes on and on. Blasphemy. Denial of Christ. And nobody's even got a gun to his head. And, and, and God says to Peter, after Christ rises from the dead, Peter, do you love me? You know, I saw you. You know, the rooster crowed, saw what you were doing out there. You didn't acknowledge me as your friend, much less your Lord, your Savior. Called me names, called us all names. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? And you can just see his head drop at that point. God, you know everything. You saw it all. You also know I love you. Deny me three times. I'm going to ask you one more time. Peter, do you love me? Peter had to be brought to that place. What he did was horrible. But it was forgivable. And Christ forgave him. He says, you're forgiven. Spend your life feeding my sheep, loving them, teaching them. So you can commit horrific blasphemy like Peter. You can deny your Lord and you can still be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit takes it up a notch. This is a sin 
where God says there is never forgiveness. The Apostle Paul was also a blasphemer. His blasphemy is described as a sin of ignorance. You can see that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 13. So the great Peter, the great Paul. 1 Timothy, verse 12 says, For this reason, excuse me, I'm in 2 Timothy. Um, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So you can commit blasphemy because you just don't know any better. You just don't get it yet. Paul was one of those characters. He didn't know any better, didn't get it. He thought he should persecute the church. He thought he should wipe it off the map as best he could until Christ came and presented himself to Paul and said, you got it all wrong. And Paul got saved, and it changed his life. Christ forgives us of blasphemy. He forgives all of us. Most of us probably had some point in our lives when we reviled God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in that list of sins that sends you to hell, uh, mentions that as one of them. And yet, we've been saved from it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, verse 9, The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. That's where the blasphemy would be. Abusive speech against God. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. So if you've committed blasphemy, you're in good company, but you've committed a horrific sin. It can be forgiven. Repent. Seek mercy from God who forgives revilers, forgives great um, offenders that we have examples of in the Scripture. It's amazing to me we don't get how serious this is. I came across a Time um, magazine article once that uh, I thought was interesting because um, it wasn't a a very uh, difficult find to accept, but this truck driver up in Maryland uh, did something. The police called uh, 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 called him aside, stopped his truck, and while the police were investigating the, this truck driver, he just started ranting and raving all sorts of profanities about how these are dumb cop pigs and all that kind of stuff. And it just infuriated the cops. So they locked him up and they started charging him with everything they could charge him with just because they didn't like him. And one of the things they charged him with was uh, profanity against God. It was still a law on the Maryland books. And for just that crime, profanity against God, you got a $100 fine, 30 days in jail. And the time, that's what the Time Magazine wanted to talk about. They care about all the other disorderly conduct. This one, how could it be possible that an American in the land of the free, in the land where we have free speech, ever be put in jail and fined for simple words out of your mouth? 
And I don't know how the guy, the truck driver responded, but I, when I read the article, I said, well, I wonder uh, if these Time Magazine article writers uh, were living in the Old Testament days, if they'd have felt this way. Because if we'd have heard that profanity in the Old Testament days, those of us who heard it would put our hands on that guy's head and then throw him to the ground and then put rocks on top until he died. It's a capital offense to profane the name of God. It was in the Old Testament. God has shown us great mercy. We know now because of ISIS that it's also a capital offense in some Islamic territories today. It is a terrible sin to blaspheme the name of God. God has shown great mercy. In Mark 3, he says, but there's an area where I will not show mercy. I will tolerate certain degree of blasphemy. He's talking to these scribes and Pharisees, but you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and you're done. You will never, ever get forgiveness. So that leads me to a third description. I call it a pensive sin, and by pensive I mean it's thoughtful. It's reflective. It's not something you do when you call it an accident. It's not something you do when you're drunk and mistakenly say words. The sin the Pharisees were committing was a sin that they had thought about. They had reflected upon it. They had discussed it among themselves. And they went with the mission of calling Jesus out uh, and saying bad things about him. And in that context, Jesus stops them and talks to them about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. Um, It's more clear in Luke. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 10. It's interesting how he makes blasphemy against Christ less than blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 12, verse 10, he makes it real clear there. He says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. So he makes a distinction. And that distinction helps us to understand how this is such a, a thoughtful, reflective sin. Because what he's saying is, if you sin against me right now by blasphemy, I'm going to forgive it. And the reason I'm going to forgive it is because you don't get it yet. You're ignorant. You don't understand who I am, that I am God. Matter of fact, that's what you're struggling with. Because I forgive sins, and only God can forgive sins, and that's bothersome to you. You don't really get me yet. I get that. So I'm not going to send you to hell for that. But the Holy Spirit is someone you know is God. You do get that. No allowances here. You can sin against me, I'm going to let it go. You sin against the Holy Spirit, whom you know is God, with blasphemy against Him, and you are done. Very thoughtful sin. Talking about you know, you know what you're doing. Um, they didn't know what they were doing 
concerning Christ. I already shared with you 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 and 13, where Paul says, I was a blasphemer, and God overlooked it because of my ignorance. I really didn't know I was speaking against God. Jesus made that clear. Remember when he was um, hanging on the cross? What did he say to those who were blasphemers? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they don't get it yet. They have not committed this thoughtful sin because they're really not thinking. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a thoughtful sin. Something people think about and do purposefully. That helps us to begin to see more and more what it is. It is a sin we can now commit against Christ because everyone in this room knows who Christ is. We know he's God. And so now if we are to blaspheme Christ the way they were close to blaspheming the Spirit, it could be an unpardonable sin as well. The book of Hebrews picks up on that. Let me share that with you. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And it's mentioned again in Hebrews 10. But it... It it was common that the people in Jesus' day didn't quite get him yet. He hadn't died, he hadn't been buried, he hadn't been raised from the dead, he hadn't ascended into heaven. Once all of that happens and all of that's testified, um, it's out there, then we pick up the book of Hebrews, which comes about 30 years later. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, okay, so now you're to the state, you get it. You've been enlightened, and you've tasted of the heavenly gift, and you've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Basically, you've been in church and seen all the spiritual gifts at work. And you've tasted the good word of God. You've heard preaching and the powers of the age to come. And then you have fallen away. It is impossible. You see this uh, never again state? It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. So you get to that position where you you understand Christ. You understand Him sufficiently. And then you say, I think He's a devil. I think He is worthless. I think He's a scam artist, whatever you want to say. You commit blasphemy at that point against Christ. And Hebrews is saying, then you're done. You will never be brought to a place of repentance because you have understood the gospel but have thoughtfully rejected it. After you were enlightened and got it, you turn from it, then it's done for you. Also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 10. Show it to you there as well. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 26 says, if we go on sinning, catch the word here, willfully. So you've thought about it, and you're, you're still going to do it. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. And anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who is trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded 
as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he uh, was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. Both passages in Hebrew link this unpardonable state to the spirit and to Christ. Here, that if you get to this place where you, you're really thinking about it and you reject Christ, you reject the Holy Spirit as demonic, as an instrument of the devil, then you committed the unpardonable sin. Back in Mark 3, that's what they were doing. Which is why, as soon as Jesus saw them doing it, he said, let me tell you a parable. A house divided is not going to stand. Satan casting out Satan, that's not going to work. But that's what you're accusing me of. You're saying, I'm Satan, and I'm casting out Satan. He says, you need to be careful with that. Because if you say that about the Holy Spirit, you're done. It's going to be over at that point. Very serious moment for them to catch what's going on. That's why I call it a progressive sin. See, what's happening? Go back to Mark chapter 2, verse 7. You see Jesus healing the paralytic. And when he does so, uh, they say, Mark 2, verse 7, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus says to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed, walk. You're good to go. They said, that's blasphemy. He would have to be God to say that and to do that, which, of course, he was God. But they didn't get it yet. And then in chapter 3, Jesus heals again on the Sabbath day. And same group of people, the Pharisees, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. I mean, they were upset in chapter 2. Chapter 3, they're even more upset, and they're talking about it, saying, who can we get to help us kill this man? You should stone somebody who blasphemes. And that's what he's doing. They're thinking this through. They come to Jesus at the, in our passage in Mark 3, verse 20, with that intent. You are demonic. You are satanic. You're evil. And we want to destroy you. Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you're getting real close to your own destruction. And it's eternal. And it's in hell. I've been watching you. I'm seeing how you're progressing. And basically, there's a line in the sand. And you've been getting closer and closer and closer and closer to it. And now you're close enough to see it. You're rejecting me totally. And you're about to reject the Spirit. And when you do that, you're done. It's a point of no return. We sang a wonderful hymn, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Um, Back when I was singing in a choir, when I first uh, began to think about this whole concept, there's there's a bass part in, in that song when you sing all four parts. You talk about wonderful grace, marvelous grace, grace is greater than all my sin. And one of the phrases that the bass throws in is infinite grace. And as I was singing that one day, I, the Holy Spirit convicted me. David, think about that, you know. And I got to thinking, well, 
God has an infinite supply of grace, yes. But His grace is not infinite to all of us. There's a line in the sand. There's a literal hell. You can fall into that pit and there's no grace. But sometimes we think we're living in an age of infinite grace. I can always get wonderful, marvelous grace. Grace that's greater than all of my sin. And Jesus is speaking a very sober message here saying, that's not true. There comes a time and a place where the grace faucet is shut off. And there's no more. Hell is literally the place. God's still sovereign over hell. He still controls hell. He's not absent from hell. What is missing from hell is God's grace and mercy. It is a place of no mercy. It is a place only of misery. And Jesus is warning these Pharisees, you're about to enter in to a place of no mercy. You don't want to go there. It makes me think, again, of the rich mercy of Christ. Even his enemies said, guys, hold up. You're getting way too aggressive here against me because that's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. You know, if you, if you could see this through, let me do my death, burial, resurrection thing. You don't get it. Maybe you'll get it then. But you go a little bit further and it's over with you. Now, why does God share all of this with us? You know, it's this, this sin, this unpardonable sin. Um, well, if you're not the one who's committed it, what does it do for you? Well, I put down four things. There's probably a bunch more. But this whole concept that there's a point of no return, it, it, it should encourage us, I think, to evangelize, to share the gospel with other people, to pray for the lost. It should encourage us to be urgent about it because we don't have an endless amount of time. One of the things this passage tells us is that there's a point in time when we're no more, when grace is no more. And we need to be living in light of that, that there's an urgency. Do we have somebody that we know that's progressively getting harder and harder and harder against God? There should be this zeal within us to say, just as Jesus said, hold it, guys, you don't want to go there. This world is not all there is. There's a place of no forgiveness, and you don't want to go there. Second, I think it encourages us just more respect for God. He is not a wimp. You will not push him around. You will not get your way no matter how logical or persuasive you are. He draws the line in the sand and says, no more. God stands fast. He is true. He is holy. He does not tolerate sin indefinitely. He's tolerated so much with you and me. He points out here, he says, I, I won't do that forever. I will just back, you remember the flood where God says, I will not strive with man forever. I won't, I won't go this long again. Limited our lives to 120 years. He said, but he's still saying, there's a point which I won't go anymore. I'll give you an enormous amount of mercy. 
but that mercy will be cut off. So repent of sin, embrace the mercy as soon as you possibly can. Third, just gratefulness that Christ has stood in our place, applied his righteousness to our account, filled us with his spirit. If you've already been saved, if God's changed your life, filled you with his spirit, can you lose that? Jesus already answered the question. Can Satan cast out Satan? He said if he did, he'd be finished. In the same way, will the Holy Spirit cast out the Holy Spirit? Won't happen. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, which takes us back to Ephesians 1, verse 13, if you're sealed by the Spirit, the Spirit has applied the righteousness of Christ to you. You can't lose it. It's yours. You're being transformed day in, day in and day out to the nature and the image of Christ that you've obscured. What, what, what glory to be able to sleep. You know, the man I started with, he couldn't sleep at night. What glory it is to be able to lay your head on your pillow and be at peace. That if I die before I wake, the Lord, my soul, will keep. He's going to keep me because his spirit is in me and he's not going to send his spirit to hell. But he's going to take his spirit in me to himself there in heaven. And I think it should also give us just an encouraging ministry of comfort and warning. When we live to comfort others, we do serve a God of comfort. We do serve a God of mercy. He's showing great mercy here in this passage. But he also shows warning. Don't live life the way you want to live it. Live life according to God. How do you treat him? Do you bring him joyful praise? Or do you blaspheme? Let's turn from everything that's negative and evil and slanderous against our God. And let's praise Him. Let's adore Him for who He is. When we take the Lord's Supper this morning, the 1 Corinthians 11 passage on communion again shows us this progressive nature of our God or our God understanding our progressive sin and our God being merciful to try to warn us and cut us off so that we don't keep sinning more and more. First um, Corinthians 11 passes. Maybe this puts new light on it for you. Uh, when he says, beginning at verse 27, he says, Whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. A man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. You see the progressiveness there? He says, some of you are, are eating the Lord's Supper. You're not examining yourselves. You're not turning from sin. You're literally just playing with God, just kind of going through religious motions. And God in 1 Corinthians 11 said, you know, you need to stop and examine yourself. If you eat and drink of the body and blood of Christ, you should be doing so as one who has thoughtfully understood, I am pardoned. I have received grace for my sin. I have been united to Christ. I have been forgiven. I am not one who plays with sin. I am one who turns from sin. 
and embraces the goodness and grace of God. That's what I do. That's why I proclaim his body and his blood. God says, some of you aren't doing that. And as a result, some of you are sick. Then he progresses. Some of you, excuse me, starts with weak. Some of you are weak. Which means to me, you just kind of feel bad. And then he says, and some of you have moved from weakness to sickness. Seeing some doctors in the congregation this morning, I, I bet it's not on your questionnaire would you ask your patients, come, you know, how are you feeling? It should be. On your questionnaire, have you taken the Lord's Supper rightly? Because some of your patients are there because they didn't take the Lord's Supper rightly. They were weak. God progressed. I'm going to warn you again. This time I'm going to give you sickness to make you more dependent on me. So you went from weakness to sickness. Sickness didn't get your attention. God says, how, how will death sound? I'll just kill you. And that's not harsh. But see, the mercy in the progression, it's like God is, is warning time and time again, what do I have to do to get through to you? Don't play with sin. You're getting to a point of no return. Uh, so we see that here. As you come to the table this morning, take as we distribute it to you, just examine yourself. Am I guilty of playing with sin? Have I been stretching God's mercy too far? Have I been asking God to overlook stuff I need to turn from and deal with? Because I, I want to I take as a pardoned believer. I'm invited to take as someone who receives the pardon of God for sin. I don't want to be a blasphemer. I know who Christ is. I want to come to him as my only hope and my only Savior who forgives all my sin. His grace is greater than all my sin. And Lord, I want to turn from it right now and say, God, take it. Help me not to do it again. Let me grow in holiness and righteousness. And every week I know I'll come back, I'll be a sinner again, and I'll need it again. But let me never take your mercy for granted or lightly. Let me receive it be nurtured by it and live for Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the word of God that enlightens us to not go through life playing, to not go through life ignoring our God, his sovereignty, his control, his destination for his children. Father, forgive us. We've all taken sin way too lightly. Thank you for the constant reminder that it costs Christ his body and blood. And Father, may we see the serious nature of sin turn from it. May we be those who speak only of praise and gratitude to our Savior and turn more and more from all of our irreverent speech and actions. May we go forth in new holiness and living this morning as we take rightly your meal. Father, if we are in this room and we're just not ready to be that serious, help us just to stand down and not take the bread or the, the wine. 
Help us to be those that don't play with God. To at least see the seriousness that this is a meal God's giving to us. And let's take it rightly from his hand for our good. You want us to receive mercy, not condemnation. Oh, how we love you for that. Only by grace can we enter your presence now. Lord, draw us to yourself with grace. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.